Our scripture this morning is found in the book of John. We're going to begin in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants knew who had drawn the, who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And in John 19, 25 through 27, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Praise team. <clears throat> if you look at the screen this morning, we'll start out with something a bit unusual. Um, so just say it out loud. What do you see, a dog or a bird? Yeah. Yeah, so mixed in it. Uh, Neil, who uh, runs our computer back there, said it. I think it took him a while to see the bird, I think. And so some of you may see the bird right away and see the dog later. Uh, let's look at the next uh, slide. Uh, what do you see? So some say woman and others say what? An old man, right? So you see either a woman or an old man there. Same picture, same uh, uh, lines that are drawn. Uh, let's go to the final one. What do you see? <laughs> yeah, so I see a lion over here, a gorilla over here, a tree. Is there anything else? Fish, fish. yeah, fish there in the bottom of the picture. Now, the reality is that when uh, we uh, look at those pictures, we see different things. And I want to say to you, in the same way with what happens with this miracle today uh, that we're going to discuss today of turning the water into, the, into wine, there are different things that different people see. As a matter of fact, this sermon has three questions. Uh, what do you see, uh, uh, or will you see, will you believe, and will you receive? Do you see, do you believe, and do you receive? And so let's look at this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana. Third day from the choice of Nathaniel as a follower of Jesus, and the mother of Jesus was there. 
Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? Like, so? And my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. All right, so there are several surprising things about John 2 and this first miracle. Number one, that the very first miracle of Jesus seems to be so insignificant. It's a wedding feast of all things. When you look at Jesus' portfolio of miracles and you realize that Jesus stepped into blind Bartimaeus' life, and he was no longer blind. When you realize that Jesus, walking into that town called Nain, saw that widow following her only son in the casket dead and stepped up and touched that boy, and he came to life. That Jesus, who arrived, it appeared four days late, Uh, to address the situation with Mary and Martha and their now dead brother Lazarus simply spoke and Lazarus came to life. Let's start his miracle career off with turning water to wine. It makes no sense. If you look at it in that context, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's provide some history. Now, wedding feast in Jesus' day lasted a week. If you were a virgin who got married, that was on a Wednesday. If you were a widow who got married, that was on a Thursday. And for the next week, the the reception, the wedding feast would go on. It was in those days the responsibility of the groom. In our days, it's the responsibility of the bride's family, but it was the responsibility of the groom's family. They funded it, and this was such an event that if if the food ran out or the wine ran out, they were subject to be sued. It, It was that serious. So historically, that helps us see the importance of it. It still doesn't answer our question. It it forces us then to look deeper into this miracle. There's a reason Jesus performed it. There's some reason he did it. And there's a reason John included it. Now, Jesus is invited to the wedding. Mary, his mother, is there. So it appears that these are family friends of Jesus and Mary. And evidently, there are a few of the early chosen disciples, all of them haven't been chosen yet, who crashed the party, right? Because they're with Jesus. So they're kind of crashing the party at this wedding. So why does Mary go to Jesus when they run out of wine? All right? Why does Mary go to Jesus when they run out of wine. So it's a legitimate question. There are two possible reasons. Number one, Mary goes to Jesus when they run out of wine because she's seen him do some perhaps miraculous things 
that are not recorded anywhere in the Bible. And so she knows that, that he can. That's a possibility. The other very real possibility is this. After Jesus was with his mom and dad and all their family coming out of the temple and leaving Jerusalem and going home, after he was with all of them, we never, ever again hear about Joseph. Scholars believe that Joseph is dead. Joseph is no longer alive. Uh, 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 scholars believe Joseph is no longer alive. And as such, Jesus, the firstborn, has become the breadwinner for his earthly family. Jesus is now not the carpenter's son, but the carpenter. If that is the case, and Jesus doesn't show up at the cross, if that is the case, that he is now the breadwinner, I want you to pause for a moment and to think of the greatest creator of all time who stoops down to build furniture for his family. He created his mother. He formed her. And now the creator of the universe is putting food on his family's table. And so perhaps Mary, now in the habit of going to Jesus, goes to him again and says, what are we going to do? And perhaps Mary has gone to him on more than one occasion saying, we don't have any food. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, so Jesus answers her, and it's not uh, the answer that you and I would expect. All right, what's different about it? First of all, Jesus calls her not mother, but he calls her woman. He answers her and calls her not mother, but he calls her woman. Now, that isn't disrespectful. What Jesus does isn't disrespectful. It's just unusual that he calls her woman. Secondly, he says to her, why are you asking me about this? What does this have to do with me? Here's the point. Mary must not merely see Jesus as her son. This is the point. Mary must not merely see Jesus as her son. D.A. Carson says it is a remarkable fact that everywhere Mary appears during the course of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is at pains to establish distance between them. This is not callousness on his part. On the cross, he makes provision for her future, but she, like every other person, must come to him as the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Notice what Jesus said to her, my hour has not yet come. Jesus automatically assumes that Mary thinks he's going to do a miracle. And so she, he says, my hour has not yet come. What is his hour? Seven times in the book of John, Jesus refers to his hour as his death and his resurrection. 
When he says, my hour is not yet come, he's saying, it's not yet time for me to display my glory. In other words, Jesus is saying to Mary, when I am at my worst, you will be at your best. When Jesus is at his worst, Mary is at her best. John comments nothing on this. There's just this little exchange between the two of them. And herein lies the question for Mary. Mary, do you see who he is now? He, he's not just your little boy that, that you brought into the world and raised up. He is God in human flesh. And he's looking at her, saying to her, this is not why I was born to turn water into wine. I did not come to planet earth to turn water into wine. That is not why I was born. That's what he is saying to her. Mary approached Jesus as his mother and was rebuked. Mary approached Jesus as his mother and was rebuked. But notice what Mary says. Notice what she says. Whatever he says for you to do, do it. Whatever he says for you to do, do it. He ignores her and she ignores him. That's what happened. I, I know you may never have thought of Jesus and, uh, and his mother like this, but that's what happened. Any of you ever been ignored by your own kids? Yeah. Have any of you ever ignored your kids? Yeah. It's part of parenting. They ignore you, and at times you're like, let that go in one ear and out the other. Pretend I never heard that. Right? Mary approached Jesus as his mother and was rebuked. She approached Jesus as a believer and was rewarded. Don't miss that. Mary approached Jesus as his mother and was rebuked. But all of a sudden, she says, well, whatever he says for you to do, do it. She approached Jesus as a believer and was rewarded. That is significant. Question number two, do you believe? There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Because this is not a miracle set in the context of some amazing human need, scholars have gone, okay, why? Why the miracle? And John, why do you include it? So let me share that with you. Jesus is setting up a before and after. He's setting up a better than things used to be. This is exactly what he's doing. A before and after. A better th than things used to be. In John 1.17, the law was given through Moses. Put that in the column over here. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All right, I'm just going to march through four chapters quickly. You've got the law and you've got grace and truth. 
John 2, 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So you've got the law, and over here you've got grace and truth. You've got this massive, beautiful temple, and over here you've got Jesus saying, hey, I'm the temple. All right? All right, so let's keep tracking. John 3, Nicodemus learns that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You have this serpent in the wilderness, which you may not know that they carried that thing everywhere they went. It finally became an awful God to them. And Jesus is saying, I am the new man who must be lifted up. That is with Nicodemus. Get to John 4 and the woman at the well. She's sitting there. She's come at noontime because she's the town prostitute. She doesn't want anybody to know who she is. And Jesus approaches her. He's thirsty. He asks for water. And she says, uh, um, why are you asking me? I'm a woman, you're a man, I'm a, Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. They go back and forth, and finally, what do we get? Jesus gives her living water. This is this kind of water. This is living water. You say, Jerry, what's the point here? What is John doing? John is saying, there's an old and a new. This is the law. This is grace and truth. This over here is water. This over here is wine. That's the symbolism of the miracle. Why would Jesus step into this and turn water to wine? Because he is able to completely transform his own mother's life. Just because she's the mother of Jesus doesn't mean she doesn't need forgiveness. And I would say to you this morning, if the very mother of Jesus needs his forgiveness, don't you? Don't I? This is astounding. Back to John 2. Jesus said, draw some water out, take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. All right, let me just say as an aside, every single time the word miracle occurs in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it is accompanied by the word sign. The miracles that are pointed to were not simply Jesus saying, I can fix this. They were Jesus saying, there's an underlying reality to what I'm doing. Here's the reality 
And this is my major concern with us in the room this morning. Listen to what happened. The guests drank the wine, were blind to the sign, and missed the glory. The disciples drank the wine, believed the sign, and saw the glory. Wow. Same people, same wedding feast, same wine. Completely different response. My question to you on this Mother's Day, my question to you on this Mother's Day is do you believe? Not do you attend not do you do good deeds. I'm just going to contend that that it is hard to trump Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the category of good deeds. As a teenager, an angel showed up and said, you'll be the mother of Jesus. And she said, may it be done to me as you have said. And she became his mother who also had been born into sin and needed him as her savior. Do you know my fear? Is that you rest on your good deeds and miss the life-saving blood of Jesus on the cross. That leads to the third question. Will you receive Mary shows back up in John 19, the hour that Jesus is referring to in John 2 has now come. It's as if John, this brilliant writer of his gospel, takes John 2 and takes John 19 and their bookends for his gospel. In John 2, Jesus is looking at his mother, calling her woman, and saying, my hour has not yet come. In John 19, Jesus is looking at his mother from the cross, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. It should not be lost on any of us that the dominant number of people at the cross were women, not men. They were women who were there. Why? Because these women were strong and close to Christ. When Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John standing nearby. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. What is Jesus doing for his mom? If he is the firstborn and Joseph is dead, he has taken care of her. From the moment Joseph died, Until now, Jesus has taken care of his mother. And while he is hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of humanity, while he is doing that, Jesus says to his mother, I've still got you. I've still got you covered. I'm still taking care of you. I can no longer be your caregiver. I can no longer put food on our table. But John, who happened to be Jesus' best friend, 
John will. That doesn't get lost on him in that moment. It's absolutely remarkable, tender moment. But there's something underneath. What's underneath? The way Jesus says it. He calls her woman again, creating that distance. His language is total adoption language. If you went through an official adoption procedure in Jesus' day, went through a process, do you know what would, would happen when the adoption went down? Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. What is Jesus saying to Mary? You will lose me as a son, but I will become to you a savior. John will adopt you physically. I will adopt you spiritually. That's what he's saying. I will take you in spiritually. John will meet your physical needs. I will meet your spiritual needs. John will put food on your table. I will put food in your heart. John will save you from the ills of this life. I will save you from the ills of eternal life apart from God. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. All of you, John, Mary, Mary, uh, the sister of Chloe, all of you, I will adopt you. The very son who gave her physical life would be the one to give her spiritual life. That was Jesus. And if you come to Jesus this morning, you'll come the exact same way. You'll come by faith. You will not come by church membership. You will not come by good deeds. You will not come by giving lots of money, you, you, you'll come if Mary, who gave the very Son of God life, had to come to him as a sinner in need of a Savior. You and I will too. Eliza Hewitt was a school teacher. She lived in the 1800s, died in the early 1900s. Violence is in our schools today. Sadly, that isn't new. And Eliza was the subject of that in her teaching career. A student grabbed a slate that was used in class and launched it at her and it, it hit her creating a spinal injury that made her unable to walk and took her out of teaching for the rest of her life. 
if you've ever sung and enjoyed when we all get to heaven, Eliza wrote that after that incident. That isn't my favorite hymn of hers. My favorite hymn of hers is the one that to me is one of the most theologically packed hymns I've ever, ever sung or read. As a matter of fact, Donald Gray Barnhouse, that, that great pioneering radio preacher, said, when you get to the pearly gates and God asks, what right do you have to come into my heaven? You will say, this song is the answer to, to my question, to your question. This is it. And so, it's old. I think we can do it all together. And I think the words are going to be on the screen. Would you stand? I think this is where Mary had to get. This is where you have to get this morning. Let's sing. My faith has found.
all will stand at your cross and either see your glory and gruesome display. Believe that you're what we need. Receive you as our Savior. like those guests at that first wedding walk away and think, oh, good wine. <laughs> or at the cross, oh, awful death. For anyone in this room who does not see, open their eyes. Who does not believe, open their heart. Who has not received, open their hands.